Dr. Michael Wald, and thank you so much for joining me today. You are listening to Ask the Blood Detective, and today's show concept is cancer and disease controversies, what I call the 10 most misunderstood health problems of all time. Now, of course, you've all heard the term cancer, and you've probably heard of most, if not all, of the other conditions I'll be covering today, and let me name them real quickly. We're going to talk about fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, Candida overgrowth, leaky gut syndrome, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, chronic Lyme disease, intestinal parasites, black mold illness, including a sick building syndrome and multiple chemical sensitivity syndrome, mast cell activation syndrome, abbreviated MCAS, and chronic inflammatory response syndrome, and that's abbreviated CIRS. Now, You may have not heard of some of these, but I can tell you that some of you out there have these conditions and do not know it. But let's go back to the title of today's show because it is critical for you to get this distinction. It's called Cancer and Disease Controversies, the 10 Most Misunderstood Health Problems. What I mean by that is this. You may have a certain concept of what cancer is or what fibromyalgia is, or what chronic Lyme disease or or intestinal parasites or leaky gut syndrome is. But I'm here to tell you that each of those titles, each of those descriptive terms, have quite a bit in their background. And if a person like yourself is unaware of the subtleties of these diagnoses, then it commonly results and very often results that I've certainly seen this in my 28 years of practice, many, many months to years, even decades of delayed treatment and therefore loss of quality of life and in many cases, loss of length of life, early demise. So as we move forward right now, I'll be describing a few important things. Number one, what makes these conditions similar? because they all do have something similar about them and what makes them very, very different. And I'll describe the subtleties, this is important, of how each of these conditions and their subtle special qualities are treated in the medical profession, what is the standard of care as it's called, and how these conditions might be treated in the natural health field. And as we move forward, some of you will probably have questions. You can even message me. But email is probably the best at the following email. This is how you can reach me directly. No one else answers my emails other than I. And the same thing with when you call me. I work with individuals one at a time. I am the only contact. And there are not other practitioners that get in the way of me getting the natural healthcare treatments right. So my email is info like information at blooddetective.com, info at blooddetective.com. Email me with your questions and comments regarding this and other shows at 914 552 
1442. So let me start with cancer because there's not a person out there, including myself, that is not at some risk of developing cancer at some point in uh, our lifetimes. To begin with, cancer is a diagnosis, just like all of those other conditions I named a few moments ago. A diagnosis is merely a label. It is a term that is applied to an individual who seems to display some specific characteristics, some signs, some symptoms, you know, lab findings and physical signs and symptoms that fall into a category such that every healthcare provider who has the proper training would recognize as cancer. So for example, we have over 800 distinct cancers. So that's the first distinction. That's what I call the first blood detective distinction that there is no cancer, there are cancers. And even if many of you out there are suffering from a particular form of cancer, your cancer is not the same as someone else that has the very same diagnosis because you have different genetics, you have different backgrounds, your body's immune systems and other homeostatic ways in which your body heals work very differently. So diagnoses and the diagnosis of cancer is really sort of a broad brushstroke category that you've been placed in if you have that diagnosis. And then, of course, we all know that we can be diagnosed with, let's say, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is one particular type of cancer, or breast cancer, or prostate cancer, or uterine cancer, or brain cancer. And then within those categories, individuals express their illness differently, and not everyone is treated the same, neither in traditional medicine or alternative or complementary or holistic or natural medicine, right? We all know this. Now, we may know this on the surface, but what I find in my practice, when people come to see me and they have a failure to, uh, be, well, to reach a certain amount of success in their medical treatments or even their natural treatments, is they are not treated as individuals. There is a lot of lip service out there given by practitioners on both ends of the spectrum, the natural and the medical, of treating people like individuals, and they even have a term for it, personalized medicine. But there is no personalized medicine very often in traditional medicine. And I know this, again, because I've seen hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands of patients over the last 28 years. And if an individual is not treated as an individual, they simply cannot benefit from the potential of their therapy to save their lives. So once again, a diagnosis is just a term. I am interested in what is in the background of the diagnosis. Okay, so you have breast cancer. So, so do thousands and thousands of women. Do they, will they all respond the same to chemotherapy, radiation, or surgery, or natural treatments? No. Why would that be? Because they're not the same person. You know, this is quite, uh, well, it's quite uh, alarming on the one hand, but it's also quite hysterical in a way when you think about the fact that medicine is starting to get this idea that Maybe they can personalize the dose of chemotherapy by 
experimenting with the cancer cells of a given patient in a petri dish in the laboratory with different types and amounts of chemotherapy, their feeling is, their breakthrough thought is that, well, maybe we can find out the best combination and or doses and way of applying chemotherapy to a person before we give it to them. This is a novel concept in medicine. And for those of you who don't realize the, the joke in that is that the concept of treating a person as a person as in, with individualized needs is something that is sort of new in medicine. From a, a theoretical perspective, if you ask any physician, do you treat your patients as individuals, they'll probably say yes. But in practice, they don't. Certainly oncologists uh, don't. There are certain protocols for certain cancers. And yes, they will change the dose of the chemotherapy or the radiation based upon a person's response to it. Uh, and if they cannot tolerate the medication, which is recommended, let's say, for that cancer, then that chemotherapy will be discontinued either altogether or for a, a period of time until the patient's labs become uh, more normal. For example, the white blood cells start to come up again, the platelet levels start to come up again, the red blood cell levels start to come up again, and or the patient can, seems to tolerate a test dose. That's about as detailed as it gets. But chemotherapy does not treat the cause of cancer. No one would disagree with that. So chemotherapy is an ad hoc way of throwing something at a, at a person with cancer in the hopes that it will kill more cancer cells, follow me here, in the hopes that the chemotherapy or radiation will kill more cancer cells then it kills healthy cells. If the number of healthy cells killed exceeds the number of cancer cells, that person's mortality goes way up. Their chances of dying goes way up. I just had a patient yesterday who, with breast cancer, went to a major medical center in New York City and saw a dietitian. And the dietitian said, do not take vitamin C with these two chemotherapeutic medications you're on. So the patient, of course, was alarmed, and she called me up, and she said, this is what the dietitian told me. I don't understand. Why would they tell me this? I thought vitamin C was, was good for, for cancer. And I said, quite honestly, I said, you know, let's call her Dora. That wasn't her name, but I said, Dora, it is true that certain types of cancers and situations would, uh, would not allow us to use vitamin C. Vitamin C might interfere with your choice of receiving your chemotherapy. So in that case, we don't want to use it. It is my job to look at your chemotherapy and to, based on research and experience and protocol, to decide whether or not your particular chemotherapy has a, an adverse effect with nutrition or a positive effect, specifically with vitamin C. So I knew that the two medications she was on, I'm not gonna mention them here because I don't want people out there getting the wrong idea that this applies to them. It may, it may not. So I sent her two scientific references on the use of vitamin C for reducing not just the side effects from these two particular types of cancer uh, drugs, but also showing that, they, that the vitamin C improved its efficacy, improved its potential to kill the cancerous cells and protect 
the healthy cells. And then uh, we spoke about those articles, and then she became quite educated and knew that the dietitian's recommendation was just based on that dietitian's limited knowledge in this area, which is sad because people's lives are at stake. If I looked at the medical literature again after this patient had told me what that dietitian said and I determined that, oh, wow, I was wrong and vitamin C should really not begin with these two forms of chemotherapy, I would have said to that patient, well, guess what? The recent literature seems to be very solid and it's supporting the fact that or the concept that you should not take these. But that's not what happened. So I have no problem admitting new knowledge. But I base my recommendations on many years of knowledge and updated information. However, whenever I deal with a patient with any diagnosis on any medication and there's a serious health concern, I always look up drug interactions, both positive and negative, to check for the the latest findings. But remember, folks, for every positive study you can find on any health problem and the use of nutrition, not just vitamin C, I can find you negative ones. So that might sound confusing. What do you do? There are positive studies, there are negative studies. Simple. You have to find a practitioner that has the experience and training in making the proper clinical judgment here. Does the preponderance of medical and scientific evidence and literature support the use of the nutrient or nutrients in question more than the adverse studies. Then, then we need to say, okay, so we have this, this bunch of literature out there. Some say positive, some says negative. It seems to show positive. So let me now think of the person in front of me and how this might apply to them and make the final choice based on a personalized consideration of the patient's needs. So one last thing on this cancer business. Why would someone say, don't take vitamin C, that doesn't know what they're talking about? Well, that's the reason. They don't know what they're talking about. So the patient asked me, well, Dr. Waldwell, how is it that vitamin C can uh, kill cancer cells and not kill healthy cells? Listen, that is a great question, I said to her. And I said, here's the answer. And we know why. It's very simple. Think in your mind of two plates, two plates in front of you on a table. And the one on the right is a healthy cell. And the one on the left is a cancerous cell. Now, the one on the right, the healthy cell, okay, write a a letter C on that plate in your mind with a magic marker. C stands for catalase. Catalase is an enzyme that all normal cells have. It's in the normal plate on the table, right? The cancer cell, it doesn't have a C in it. It doesn't have catalase. Now, that table that those plates are sitting on, that's the blood. If you fill up that table with vitamin C, both of those cells are exposed to the same amount of vitamin C. But the cell with catalase is not destroyed by the vitamin C. But the cancer cell without the catalase is destroyed by the vitamin C. Catalase is a protective enzyme in healthy cells. So when large amounts of vitamin C impact that healthy cell, it's not affected. But when vitamin C impacts the cancerous cell, it's killed off. Not every time. Vitamin C and nutrition is not going to kill every cell. Neither does chemotherapy or radiation. But the people that do the best, I think most physiologists and toxicologists and oncologists, for example, certainly I as a nutritionist would say that 
vitamin C is the way to go. One last thing about this. The practitioners, the, the oncologists or the dietitians that work with oncologists that are untrained or not well-trained will say, well, we don't want you to use antioxidants. Now we're talking about green tea and turmeric and resveratrol and all the phytonutrients. Those are chemicals and compounds in plants. We don't use any of that, that stuff, those antioxidants, because the chemotherapy works by killing cells by creating oxidation. So oxidation breaks down cancer cells. And oxidation sounds the opposite of antioxidation, antioxidant. Following me? Good. So why would someone take vitamin C or these other antioxidants, there are dozens and dozens that people use in cancer care, when uh, they're getting oxidant chemotherapy? The reason is this. When these nutrients are taken into the body, let's use vitamin C as an example again, it is not an antioxidant when it gets into the blood. Its major form that it's carried in the blood, folks, is an oxidant. So that's as far as I'm going to go with this concept, but what I gave you is some very advanced notions about how these nutrients work. Now, we've established that there are many types of cancers. People need to be treated individually. If people have cancer and they want to maximize nutrition, they need to see qualified people. So there are medical physicians, but if they're not trained in nutrition and most only have 30 or so hours, that's just nothing. That's fewer you know, commercials on you know, healthy foods that you might watch in a month that physicians just don't have the training for. There are naturopaths, and some are quite qualified in the nutritional area, uh, in my opinion, they have to know how to read laboratory work. And also there are dietitians. Dietitians can read the basics of some labs, but no more than that. That's not something dietitians do. I made it my business to uh, become an expert in the nutritional interpretation of lab, which is why I'm nicknamed the blood detective. And I did write a book on laboratory and nutritional relationships. It's a 500-page text and it's for healthcare providers to get this straight because this is very hard to do. So let's move to the, the next condition and realize that all these conditions have something in common. What is in common with them is they're just diagnoses. So what about fibromyalgia? What about it? What is it? So the basic definition of fibromyalgia for you to be diagnosed means that you have to have some muscle aches or pains for at least three months and then you have to have these tender spots, sometimes called trigger points, but they're really tender spots, in about 11 of 18 different locations. And uh, there cannot be another disease present that would have accounted for these findings. If there is not another disease and a person otherwise seems healthy, but they have these persistent problems, they're diagnosed as fibromyalgia. Now, of course, different books, different doctors have different definitions, slightly different definitions, maybe even very, very different definitions of all of these conditions, including fibromyalgia. But I think we get the point that there is a definition, there is a box that you will be fit into, and you have to have some common things alike with others, and it must meet the definitional requirements. However, one of the first books that I wrote many years ago was about fibromyalgia. And I realized way back then when the diagnosis was not even accepted that this condition is a joke. And here's what I mean by that. 
there was always a cause or causes of fibromyalgia or cancer or anything else. But someone can have tender points or trigger points and fatigue and achiness for three months or greater from many, many different problems. So I do not believe for a second that fibromyalgia is some kind of new condition. It's not. Fibromyalgia can be caused by Lyme disease, which can affect the nervous system and inflammation, giving all the symptoms that fit the fibromyalgia definition. Fibromyalgia can be caused by thyroid disease. Hypothyroidism will cause many of the symptoms of fibromyalgia, if not all of them. Any sort of infections can. Heavy metal toxicity can. Autoimmune disease can. Cancer can. Now, there are some healthcare providers out there saying, "Uh uh-oh, you're wrong, Dr. Wald. By you giving diseases that can cause fibromyalgia, you're falling into the definition of what is known as secondary fibromyalgia, meaning a person has all the symptoms of fibromyalgia, but it is caused by another disease. They call that secondary. Um, I get that from a definitional perspective. What I'm saying is I do not personally believe that fibromyalgia is some nonspecific problem. It is always caused by one of several problems. Triggered inflammation, triggered autoimmune or hypoimmunity, low immune problems. It can be triggered by any number of toxins. Just because the disease or dysfunction that caused the fibromyalgia may not be present at the time of diagnosis doesn't mean it won't show up in two months, two years, or 10 years. The bottom line is when we're dealing with a truly personalized way of treating an individual through a healthy lifestyle, healthy diet, obviously, the correct amount and type and timing of exercise, and certainly the correct nutritional supplements, we need to know about their biochemistry and their needs, where I am always treating the biochemistry of the patient, not merely the diagnosis, because the diagnosis is not real. It's just a term. So any number of problems can cause fibromyalgia, and they must be treated alike. Now, you know, everyone out there, that you can buy some encyclopedia of natural healing and you can look up fibromyalgia, you can look up candida overgrowth, you can look up leaky gut, you can look up chronic Lyme disease, intestinal parasites, and there will be a protocol right in there. And sadly, this is what a lot of people do, even the smartest of my patients sometimes, and then they wonder why it doesn't work. Um, That's because those superficial recommendations are as untrue as the diagnosis is as the name of a disease is. What I say as a blood detective is, you need what you need for your needs. So if you've got fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, let's say, because you have mercury toxicity that's affected your thyroid, you can take all the iodine you want. It's not gonna work. You can take as as many capsules or pills of a supplement that is called thyroid kick butt as you want, but if you don't need those supplements in that bottle, they will not work. Almost everyone experiences some amount of placebo, by the way, which is the way that the body tries to heal itself, meaning a person will try something, it makes sense to them on a number of levels, and they feel better for a while, and that, that's very real, but it won't last. So when it doesn't last at least 36 or so days, beyond 36 or so days, then you know it was a placebo.
Let's just switch gears for just a second. For those of you who are just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Today's topic is entitled Cancer and Disease Controversies, the 10 Most Misunderstood Health Problems of All Time. Send me your questions and concerns to my email at info at blooddetective.com. You can call me at 914-552-1442. You can listen to my other shows on my blog at my website at int. M-E-D-N-Y.com. So we've been talking about the similarities and differences between, again, seemingly different health problems ranging from cancer to fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, candida, leaky gut, and the like. And what I'll do now is continue to compare and contrast how these conditions are misunderstood, mainly in the medical arena, if I may be so bold, but there is also, I would say, differences of opinion and differences in perspectives in terms of thinking about these conditions among natural healthcare providers. For example, chronic fatigue. So chronic fatigue, like every other healthcare problem I'm speaking about, is a diagnostic uh, label. That's all it is. And we can open up a book, we, I said this before, and look up chronic fatigue and it'll give us a, a whole list of supplements and how to eat and how to live our lifestyles to manage it. Except that's wrong because chronic fatigue can be caused by any number of problems. Chronic fatigue can be an early sign of cancer or a late sign of cancer. Chronic fatigue can be a sign of any sort of infection, fungal infection, parasitic, viral, bacterial, a combination, wormy parasites, you name it. Chronic fatigue can be from any number of nutritional anemias. I did a show called Empty Blood Diseases within which I spoke about the different types of deficiency anemias because anemia only means deficiency. If one has a deficiency of different nutrients and is diagnosed with, let's say, iron deficiency anemia or vitamin D deficiency anemia or protein anemia or glutathione anemia or B6 anemia or vitamin C anemia, the list goes on, the causes of those anemias are not always deficiencies in the diet. They may be malabsorption problems. One could have autoimmune diseases that cause anemias and therefore give the symptom of chronic fatigue. So my approach is, oh, you know something, I should also add to that list that many of my patients have chronic anemias because of electromagnetic and radiation insults in the environment. They're living in homes that are contaminated uh, with mold and also a variety of um, of various uh, chemical compounds that affect the nervous system and therefore the brain and one's perception of energy. So I make it my business to provide information regarding patients having their homes screened for these issues. A hidden sign of chronic fatigue, which also could result in fibromyalgia, which can result in cancer. So you can see how these conditions seem to run into one another. 
Let's move on to the next misunderstood health problem, and that's candida overgrowth. So if I had a nickel, just a, just a nickel, for, any, for every time a patient would say to me, Dr. Wald, I know what is wrong with me. I just need your help in figuring out the nutrition. What's wrong with me is I have candida uh, overgrowth in my body. And I'll say, okay. And then I'll say, do you have any testing you know, that shows that? And they might, they may not. And then I would uh, ask them the question, okay, what do you think might be causing the candida overgrowth? And some people look at me a little strangely. They say, well, I'm not really sure. And I said, that's great because that's what we want to figure out. Candida overgrowth does not happen when a healthy immune system, when a person like you, hopefully it's you, with a healthy immune system is merely exposed to, let's say, candida from something you eat or something you touch. It happens when the immune system is deficient or, folks, when the immune system is hyperdiligent, meaning in the autoimmune area, which is too much immunity, too much of a good thing, but the immune system is dysfunctional in autoimmune conditions, and or when aspects of the immune system are hypofunctioning or low-functioning, then candida anywhere in the body may have a chance to overgrow. Now, you notice I didn't mention in there anything about sugar. So let's talk about that. These are the misunderstandings. I might see a person who has this understanding of candida. They may agree with me that, yes, there's an immune issue. And they might even then say, well, Dr. Old, I've eliminated all sugar, including fruit. And then I'll ask them why. And they'll say, well, you know, because I was told and I've read that sugar feeds candida. Well, the truth, folks, is that some sugars may feed candida. Some sugars actually can kill candida and the the uh, end and the, and the exclamation point on the end of this statement is that most of the time candida has nothing to do with sugar intake i'm not saying it never does but one must understand the following fruits contain fructose with the exception of grapes which are mostly glucose glucose is very quickly used in the body very quickly raises the blood glucose. So if you're a healthy person and you're active and you're running around all day or you want grapes before a workout, during a workout, after a workout, that's exactly when you want grapes because you want the sugar relatively quickly. You don't want some complex carbohydrate that gives you sugar in three hours. But the misunderstanding that I find is that people will avoid fruit which have an extreme number of health benefits that far outweigh any negatives. In fact, we know that fruits are actually safe for diabetics. They may help blood sugar. So also, many, many things can cause blood sugar problems that could aggravate candida overgrowth in those cases where blood sugar is connected to candida that have nothing to do with the sugar you eat. For example... There have been studies that show that people who stand behind the exhaust of cars, their blood sugars skyrocket. We know that pollution is a cause of blood sugar problems. In fact, we know that the, the number one cause of diabetes is now thought to be, drum roll please, nope, not diet, 
not even genetics. It's pollution. Pollutants make their way into the pancreas. As you may know, the pancreas is the organ that secretes a variety of hormones. One of those hormones is insulin for, for blood sugar balance. And the environmental pollutants kill off certain cells in the pancreas, which make insulin called the beta cells. That results in diabetes. I was asked to write a, an entire chapter on this topic in a book some years ago, and at the time I was only I was only vaguely familiar with this notion, and since then I, I am astounded at the amount of literature. So sometimes a, a person's candida overgrowth may be from pollution, may be electromagnetic problems which stress the body, stress hormones, promote sugar imbalance, which then can cause immune deficiency and or immune excess, which can result in candida overgrowth. It's always important to look for causes. There's never a single cause in my experience. Let's move on to leaky gut. So leaky gut is probably way at the top of the list of the 10 most misunderstood health problems of all time. First of all, once again, people will come to me and say, Dr. Wald, I have leaky gut syndrome. And uh, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I take probiotics. I take glutamine. I eat healthy I take deglycerinated licorice. I take aloe. They're doing all the right things, at least on paper. Except, what is a leaky gut? Well, as it sounds, a leaky gut is, a, is the gut, the small intestine. That's what leaky gut refers to, not the large intestine, the small intestine. The place of uh, practically all absorption, with minor exceptions. And the small intestine becomes leaky. It becomes inflamed, which causes the cells of the small intestine that are stuck together very tightly to separate. And microscopic separations are is a huge deal when it comes to leaky gut. So we have this leaky gut, but it wasn't caused by a probiotic deficiency. You know, those in natural health care often will say about medicine, you know, medicine's always trying to cover up the, the symptoms and not treat the cause. So they'll give a, you know, a Tylenol or an aspirin for a headache as if we have aspirin deficiencies or Tylenol deficiencies. Now, that statement sounds very, very convincing. But in natural health care, we also see the same mistake of logic when someone says, that they're taking a probiotic, let's say, for their leaky gut. Leaky gut is not caused by a probiotic deficiency. Probiotics are those health, healthy bacteria and healthy fungal organisms. I am not saying that probiotics are not part of the cure for leaky gut. They most often are. But leaky gut does not cause itself. I'll repeat, leaky gut does not cause itself. Is like it's like saying that if you have eye pain and blurred vision, and uh, because someone punched you in the in the face, that the cause of your swollen eye was was the fact that you're 67 years old. Maybe that was a lousy analogy. My point though is leaky gut syndrome is present 98% in practically every autoimmune disease, from multiple sclerosis to migraines, to diabetes, to lupus, to mixed connective tissue disease, to Sjogren's disease, to autoimmune thyroiditis, to autoimmune adrenal problems, and the list goes on and on. 
A person needs what they need for their needs. So I look at all the areas of the body. I have my patients fill out detailed questionnaires in all areas. I then question them. Further details, we decide on appropriate tests, and we put together a lifestyle plan, a supplement plan, an exercise plan, and food plan that matches the biochemistry, and we change what we're doing over time as needed based on response, not just symptomatically. We have to have an improvement in lab tests. So again, leaky gut can be caused by a life of stress, emotional stress. Leaky gut can be caused by poor absorption, which causes a leaky gut, and leaky gut can also cause poor absorption. Let's move on on to the next top 10 misunderstood health problems. Non-celiac gluten sensitivity. This is one of my favorite. Non-celiac gluten sensitivity? What is that? Well, what it means is that a person has a sensitivity to gluten, where when they eat gluten, their body reacts adversely to it, and they get all kinds of symptoms. They may get headaches. They may get infertility. They may get osteoporosis. They may get joint pain. They may get autoimmune disease. They may get endometriosis. You name the problem. Gluten is what I call the masquerader of many diseases. Now, we're talking about a condition that is not called celiac disease. It's called non celiac gluten intolerance. What is the difference? And what are the causes? And how are these things misunderstood? Well, first of all, celiac disease, for those of you who may not know, is a genetic condition of gluten intolerance. There is no cure for it other than the person must eliminate gluten. But then the failure of medicine, and often sometimes the failure of natural medicine is, okay, fine, eliminate gluten, eliminate the insults of of gluten on the intestinal tract and other places in the body, celiac disease, but then you've got to look at all of the years of nutritional problems that have resulted in other conditions. A traditional gastroenterologist, if they're smart enough to find celiac disease in their patients, will say, eliminate gluten. A really, really smart gastroenterologist will say, okay, you have celiac disease, it's gluten, now I'm going to refer you to a dietitian. Most people are not referred to a dietitian because gastroenterologists incorrectly think that everything is gluten and there are no secondary effects or tertiary effects. There are in most people. But what is non-celiac gluten intolerance? It is a gluten intolerance, but it is not genetic. It is not the genetic celiac disease. It can cause the same level of problems. It may not cause as often inflammation that can be seen upon biopsy in the small intestine, but it's just as bad. The good news, though, is if you have non-celiac gluten intolerance, that can be cured 100%. There are a number of ways of doing that. I'll tell you two ways or two things that are used, but they're not cures and they're not the whole thing. Whether you have non-celiac gluten intolerance, which, by the way, is a malabsorption disorder, just like celiac disease. And remember, a malabsorptive disorder can create any problem, can increase your risk of cancers, thyroid problems, hormonal problems, you name it, anything. If you mess with absorption, you're messing with with everything. So you need digestive enzymes and stomach enzymes and acids and often bile acids, along with the appropriate probiotic antibacterials and probiotic antifungals. So in medicine, in short, doctors 
confuse celiac disease with a person who has gluten intolerance. In fact, they often make fun of people who claim they have gluten intolerance. But the medical literature is starting to notice this problem, and it will take them a few decades to catch up, which is typical. And the other thing we should know about non-celiac gluten intolerance is that that condition will put you in the grave just as prematurely as as celiac disease could because, I'll say it one last time, if you're malabsorbing, you're not healing. Let's now move to Lyme disease, but before we do, commercial break. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. I can be reached at info at blooddetective.com. If you want to work with me personally, either face-to-face or by phone or at distance, call me at 914-552-1442. So, chronic Lyme disease. Here's the long and short of it. Lyme disease is caused by a spirochetal organism that is transmitted most commonly from a tick. The tick bites you and in some unknown period of time, it may be hours, it may be days, it may even be weeks, a person will experience symptoms because of the dissemination of the toxins released by this spirochetal organism. The problem is medical physicians in general consider that people get a tick, most of the time you do not see the tick, only about 30 or 40% of the time do you see on the skin what's called a bullseye rash. But if medical history suggests that there may have been a tick exposure and someone has fatigue or they do have these bullseye rashes on them, they, they may have one large one, they may have several small bullseyes, they may never have a bullseye, the person's generally given doxycycline. If the person doesn't respond to the doxycycline within three to four weeks, then the doctor says, well, give it several weeks because it sometimes takes a bit of time for the antibiotics to kick in, the inflammation to go down. Many doctors do not check for all of the other so-called comorbid infections that ride on top of those ticks. Many of them, by the way, are viral. You can't even test for them. Some of them are deadly. So if you should survive up to this point, It's very difficult to convince a physician to treat you again with doxycycline. Some will give you amoxicillin. Some will give you Mepron and other uh, medications. And and then a last resort would be giving a person intravenous antibiotics. Many people feel better when they get the intravenous biotics. And they think that, well, if I'm feeling better from these antibiotics, it must be because it's suppressing the Lyme disease. A lot of times, so-called chronic Lyme disease is not from a live Uh, Lyme disease infection. It is from the fact that you may have been infected with Lyme disease or more than one infection. Those bugs may have been killed off completely, but you're left damaged. You take antibiotics, which are also anti-inflammatories, and you feel better, and you assume that it's, you know, from the Lyme disease or the co-infection. Others out there are thinking, well, wait a second, no, 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 we know that Lyme disease can bore its way into the brain and the nervous system and antibiotics can't reach them, and that's why. That happens sometimes. But my point is, this is very misunderstood as you can see. What I think is important is that we need to use nutrition to support the nervous system and the immune system. We don't simply look up things on the internet that say these are the best herbs for Lyme disease because it depends on how Lyme disease has affected you. That's what determines what the, the nutrition should be for your restoration of your health.
if Lyme disease affected you in such a way that it caused what are called white matter lesions in your brain, then you need special nutrition for that. You might need a special uh, healthy oil called decosinohexanoic acid. You certainly do need medium chain triglycerides, but not just any MCT oil. You need an MCT oil that only has medium triglycerides that are a certain length microscopically between 8 and 10 carbons. My point is that it can get complicated. Too many people I see waste too many years trying things and they don't understand why it's not working and it's because of the reasons I said. Don't treat the disease name, folks. That's what you're doing when you look something up and you, you think you're learning the right nutrition for a condition. You might get lucky, but most people do not get lucky. You need to treat the effects upon your body. It's never wrong to treat what you find in your chemistry. So I look at chemistry, whether it's blood and or urine. Brain mapping is particularly important. But also, if you've been adversely affected by something like Lyme disease or other comorbid infections, your nervous system may be affected. So it's more susceptible to other stressors which can worsen you again, such as, and I mentioned some other things before, the fact that maybe your home, your basement is overgrown with uh, with candida or with other forms of fungal infections. There's many other forms of fungal infections. Maybe there's electromagnetic influences. Uh, Perhaps now that your body is injured, you're more susceptible to degenerative effects of heavy metals that you were exposed to before, which didn't cause a problem, but now are a problem for you. You want to fix what it is you need. Let's move on to black uh, black mold illness, including sick building, building syndrome and multiple chemical sensitivity syndrome. First of all, in the little time we have left, black mold illness is a type of mold. It's very common in people's homes, and you may not see it. And these spores you're breathing in all day, they can cause any number of autoimmune problems. They can cause brain fog and memory fog. They might even trigger dementia. They could trigger cancers. Once they get into your body, if your immune system is weak, they grow in your body. So this is something that needs to be managed, needs to be examined. If you have a chronic health problem that's not going away, you want to look into black mold uh, illness. And in terms of multiple chemical sensitivity syndrome, well, if your immune system is affected, if your adrenal glands are weak, if your resiliency is low, then you will be susceptible to chemicals in your environment causing you damage when before they may not have caused you damage or they certainly will cause you more damage at this stage because you're weakened. So. Would you treat black mold because it's a fungus by taking uh, some bottle of nutrients that says anti-black mold cure? Well, you might take that, but that's not enough to match what your body actually needs. That you can only find out through questionnaires and testing. And the same goes for multiple chemical uh, sensitivities. Depending on the suspected chemicals, you would support your body differently. If you think that you know, you're exposed to benzenes or organophosphates or heavy metals, or if you think that the chemicals are from industrial outpouring and pollution, which has xenoestrogens, 
The point is, there's a lot of chemicals that we're exposed to. And you can't simply manage them by, again, taking some supplement that says immune booster. You need to figure out what you need so your body can detoxify these sorts of chemicals and, very importantly, eliminate them. Let's talk about mast cell activation syndrome. Basically, mast cell activation syndrome means that there is some trigger or triggers in your life that may be putting pressure upon the mast cells in the body. The mast cells are types of white blood cells that are loaded with histamine. And when you have a trigger, that trigger might be nickel in your jewelry or that might be some chemical in your environment. Uh, it could be a food or a combination of foods. You could be allergic to yourself. You might get this condition of mast cells that degranulate, that break up, which release histamine and cause all sorts of problems that you might associate with histamine, which are destructive, they are inflammatory, and they are degener degeneratory. And the, the list of health problems are as long as, uh, you know, my arm and a lot longer than that in terms of what mast cell degranulation could look like. It could look like chronic headaches. It can look like fibromyalgia. It can look like chronic fatigue syndrome. It can even look like Lyme disease. It might also be associated with leaky gut or fibromyalgia. And when we have mast cells that degranulate, they are part of a weakened immune system and that can make you susceptible to parasites. So we just listed all, all the conditions we're talking about today. The problem with these 10 most misunderstood conditions is that they're misunderstood because they're thought of as separate things. They're thought of as just the diagnostic term and often we forget to treat the individual underneath. One last one before we go. Chronic inflammatory response syndrome. It simply means that a person, hopefully it's not you, has what appears to be a vigorous and life-altering inflammatory problem. It's often diagnosed as an autoimmune disease, which it oftentimes is. Or a person may not have an obvious autoimmune disease, but they seem to have symptoms of inflammation and their laboratory work also shows evidence of inflammation. Their ESR blood tests will increase. Their CRP blood tests will increase. Their ferritin blood tests will increase. I can go on all day about what we might see. But no two people who have chronic inflammatory response syndrome or CIRS or any of these other health problems will have the same chemistry and will require the same cure. In medicine, they would throw steroids at someone with chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And to back up for a moment, with mast cell activation, they throw anti-allergy medicine at these individuals or steroids with no attention given to underlying causes. Black mold illness, well, as you can tell, these aren't cures at all, and they probably worsen the problem. You'll get a few days, maybe a week or two, of some sort of short-term reprieve. But that's about it. When it comes to intestinal parasites, antiparasitic medications are given. These are highly liver toxic, what are called a hadotoxic. And then you're left with a weakened liver and immune system, and you wonder why you never feel quite the same after that diagnosis. We talked about non-celiac gluten sensitivity. It simply isn't 
taken seriously in traditional medicine. Candida overgrowth, well, if they can't actually measure it, and a lot of times you cannot measure this, they just throw antifungal meds at someone. Chronic fatigue, well, there better be an obvious cause of it on the blood test because if it's not, you're deemed a little bit, a uh, little crazy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've gotten these attitudes from doctors. So what I hope that we've all gotten from this conversation is that if you're continuing to suffer with symptoms and signs of problematic health issues, consider that you need more specific and individualized and personalized attention to your needs. Sometimes testing reveals this. Sometimes it's a combination of testing. Often doctors forget, not forget, they neglect to consider the testing of other uh, doctors. If you have not had detailed testing like absorptive tests, how well you absorb and things of that fundamental nature, consider that sort of testing. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was a complicated talk, but what I love about this audience is you're not the average person in the population. You actually get this, which is incredible. So I was thinking for my next talk, I'm going to talk about mold dangers. I'm going to talk about heavy metals and electromagnetic and other environmental triggers of disease. And we'll call it home dangers because most of these issues are manifest in our very homes. You've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. I'm Dr. Michael Wald. Please call me at 914-552-1442. Send me your show ideas because you guys gave me this one also at the following email, info at blooddetective.com. See you soon.
much more fun You know that only the good die young Be the one you know that only the good. 